You can be seated. Are you glad you got out of that warm bed and made your way to church today? Yes, 25 of you are. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, Stephen, our son, and his wife Sarah spent the weekend with us. They got up Friday afternoon before the weather got too bad. It's the first time we were able to get together uh, since uh, Monisa spent five weeks in Germany and, and Italy with Jacqueline, and we wanted to celebrate. Sarah has a birthday the week after Christmas, and she had graduated with her master's degree in nursing and, and uh, just passed her board certification so she can be a nurse practitioner. So we wanted to get together and, 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 and celebrate. So they, uh, they came up, and last night we went out to dinner and had a really, really good meal over at Michael's Grill, and I, I got my favorite stuff, and, and uh, it, was, it was fun. But uh, I have to tell you, in the middle of the night when I was trying to sleep, my food decided it wanted to talk to me a little bit. <laughs> Any of you ever had that, had that experience where, you know, you, you want something and, and it's really good and so you choose it, but later on it decides to talk to you? That's really a metaphor for life. A lot of times there are things we want to do, things that are really, you know, man, we like that, we, we're, it's attractive, we're tempted, whatever it is, it's kind of like the kid up here with that cupcake. And the big, big debate, is that a red velvet or a chocolate? Just let your own desires tell you which it is. But we, we make the choices, and then later, they just have this way of talking to us, right? And, and if it's a really good choice, they say good things, and if it's not a good choice, they tend to say not so pleasant Things and, and life is full of choices, big choices, little choices, and they all affect us. And I, I got to thinking about the the presidential election that you know is, is is that's out in the news all the time now, and and I don't know about you, but I'm almost ready for it to be over with already. And and I was reading a story last night in the news about Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City, considering jumping into the race running for president, not as a Republican, not as a Democrat, but as an, as an independent third-party candidate. And since he's a multi-billionaire, he said he might spend up to a billion dollars of his own money on his presidential campaign. And one of the interesting things about Bloomberg was he started out as a Democrat, then he became a Republican, and now he's an independent. I just wish he'd make up his mind. He can't seem to make a choice. I don't, I don't know what's going on with him, but that's okay. That's, that's all right. We live in a free country. And uh, uh, I, I'm not endorsing any particular candidate or opposing any particular candidate, but you can learn a lot from just listening and watching. And I'm having a hard time keeping up with who I was running for president. And I don't think I'm the only, the only one. <laughs> I mean, I've never, I've never seen anything like this in my life. So many, so many people to choose from who are saying they want to be a president. I mean, just look at all those pictures, the Republican debates and then, you know, the Democrat debate and, uh, you know, a few starting to drop out, but still a lot of candidates running for president. It seems that the one who's dominating the news is who? It's Donald Trump. Keeps, you know, he knows how to get the headlines. I give him credit for that. And, and uh, li- recently, uh, some of the reporting about Donald Trump had to do with his religion and his view of God and so on. And uh, it, it all started because last summer out in Iowa, Donald Trump made a statement. He said, people are shocked when they find out I'm Protestant, I'm Presbyterian, I go to church, I love God, and I love my church. And he was asked a follow-up question if he ever asked God to forgive him for his actions. And what he said last summer was, I'm not sure I have. He said, I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I don't think so. 
I think if I do something wrong, I think I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into this picture. I don't. In a follow-up interview, uh, he said, why do I have to repent or ask for forgiveness if I'm not making mistakes? I don't do a lot of things that are bad. And uh, I'm, I work hard, and, and, and I'm an honorable person. And this, this, this month, earlier this month, he said something similar. He said, I like to, to be good. I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness, and I am good. And, you know, so, again, I'm not saying one thing one way or the other about Donald Trump. I'll just let his words speak for himself on this particular issue. But the truth is one of the most important decisions any person ever makes is what do you believe about God? What do you believe about sin? What do you believe about forgiveness? One of the most important choices you'll ever make is how are you going to approach God? How are you going to deal with God? How are you going to deal with your sin? That's, that's a critical choice, and every human being has to make it. And, and how you make it, the choice you make, really matters. And that's what I want to talk about today. It's been in the news, so I want to, I want to talk about it in this sermon series, Choices. And... Jesus said something about it in Luke 18. How you choose to approach God. How you choose to deal with your humanity. How you choose to deal with your sinfulness. And remember I said last week Jesus often taught in parables which were stories that were relevant to everyday life and he would make a point through those stories. They're not allegories. They're just stories that make a point or two. They they drive a a lesson home. And each Sunday in this series we're going to look at a story at a parable Jesus told and learned something from it about the choices we make. Last Sunday we talked about the choices we make in terms of, of how you live, how you approach everyday life. And do you listen to Jesus and do what he says or do you pretty much just do your own thing? That's the choice you're faced with. Only That's the only two choices. And today when we think about how do you approach God, we're going to discover that there's really only two ways, only two approaches. One of them works and one of them doesn't. God says one of them is right and one of them is wrong. There's only, a two, only two ways a human being can approach God and, and choose to deal with their sin as it relates to God. And so let's read together in Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus is the one teaching here, and it says that he also, Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, or the King James, the older King James translated to publican, which is a much older word for tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. And by the way, standing was the, was the normal way a Jewish person prayed. If you go to Jerusalem, or if you look at photographs or video of people standing at the, at the wailing wall, the, the temple wall to pray, they don't kneel, they stand. That's the way a devout Jew prays. They pray standing. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's the normal way to pray. Standing actually with your eyes lifted up. Remember when Jesus prayed and raised Lazarus from the dead, he looked up to heaven. When Jesus gave, uh, uh, healed a, a deaf man, he looked up to heaven when he when he prayed, often in the New Testament, Jesus, when he prayed, looked up. So, you know, body posture relates to your heart. So don't say this is the only, and this is sort of a side teaching on, on prayer. Don't start judging people because they stand, they kneel, they look up, they look down. Don't, don't, don't go there because that's, that's unbiblical. 
What matters is your heart, not your body position, okay? Body position can be a representation of your heart, but body position can also belie your heart, <laughs> right? All right, so let's go on with the parable now. Now, I got that out of the way. So the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. I like the old King James, thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast, his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, not a sinner, but the sinner. And then Jesus concludes in verse 14 with a lesson. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be what? humbled. But he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Now usually when we study this passage, our focus is on who the two men are. Here's this religious Pharisee, lived a moral life, but was a hypocrite, and Jesus said he was not justified. He was lost and going to hell. Here's this tax collector, this sinner, this crooked guy who repents of his sin and is forgiven and is going to heaven. And in, and in Jesus' day, he was trying to make a point that just being religious isn't good enough. And, and so that's part of the story. But that's normally where we stop. That's what we focus on. This morning, I, I don't want us to focus so much on who the two men were. Okay, because I think we miss a really important lesson if our focus is simply on the Pharisee and the tax collector. I think there's another lesson that's even more important, and it's this. It's not who you are. It's how you come to God that matters. It's the way you approach God. That's the real lesson for us. Because these two men both approached God, but they did it very differently. And you, you don't have to be religious or non-religious, rich or poor, to, to approach God in either of these ways. Because it's not about status and it's not about who you are. It's about your heart and how you choose to approach God, how you choose to deal with your sin problem. And that's what I want us to focus on. This morning, if you really want to understand the lesson of this parable, you have to look at verse 9. Because in verse 9, we're told that Jesus spoke this parable for a specific reason, aimed it at a particular group. Verse 9 tells us Jesus directed this parable at people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now, you don't have to be a religious person to be one of those. That's the person who says, you know what, I'm a good person. I treat, each, I treat people well. I'm honest. I, I do what's right. I'm a good person. So therefore, I'm okay. 
I'm okay spiritually. I'm okay when it comes to eternity. I'm okay with God. Why? Because I'm this kind of person. I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. I do good things. I treat people well. I'm all right. I don't need to beat myself up as some bad sinner. I don't need to repent of my sin. I don't need to plead for the mercy of God. I'm okay. I don't need the church. I can worship God on the lake as good as I can at church, even though when I'm on the lake, I'm never actually worshiping God. Because me and Jesus got it all worked out. I'm a good guy. It's all in our approach to God. Jesus said some people trust in themselves. And, and, and I looked it up in the, in the Greek New Testament. I wanted to study that word trust. What does it mean when it said they trust in themselves? And it's the idea that they are absolutely convinced. They're persuaded And therefore, they definitely, completely believe they're righteous. They're persuaded that their standing with God is okay because of what they do, who they are. They've convinced themselves. They've persuaded themselves. They don't have any doubt. It's okay because look at me. I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I'm a fair person. I'm an honest person. And therefore, they've just persuaded themselves, convinced themselves that everything's all right. And you can be a religious person and think that way. You can be a a non-religious person and think that way. You can be somebody who goes to church all the time, somebody who hardly ever goes to church and think that way. Who you are is not what matters. It's how you approach God and how you deal with your sin problem. That's the real issue. And so the Pharisee was a very religious guy who belonged to the most influential religious group in Judaism during the time of Jesus. And they were very strict in their obedience to what they understood the law, the Old Testament law to teach. In fact, they had taken the Old Testament and written hundreds of rules they put on top of the Bible to help them know what to do in specific cases. You know, it's like people who don't like making choices, so they want somebody to write a policy for what they're to do in every circumstance which would drive you crazy if you're a person like me, but uh, I think it drives most of us crazy, you know, living that way. And that's how they approach religion. All the, you know, Jesus said love, if Jesus said love people, they'd write 50,000 rules about how, what, what, what that means. And, and, and they would follow these rules meticulously. And what happens when you're that kind of person is you begin judging people, not on the basis whether they love, but on the basis how do they do with your rules. And that's why the Pharisees tended to look down on other people, despise others, because others didn't want to follow all their little rules. That's why this is another sermon. See, hey, it's it's a snow day. I'm just free and happy. I'm going to go wherever it goes. Uh, uh, when When you start making a bunch of rules for what it means to be a Christian, looks like to be a Christian, you start applying those rules to other people and judging people on the basis of those rules, you're doing what this Pharisee did. I'm just saying so very religious, very moral, very observant to all these list of do's and don'ts. And, 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 he's, and, and in his prayer, he tells something about himself. And he's probably telling the truth because they were very moral people. He says, you know, I'm not a swindler. By the way, tax collectors, not all of them, but most of them were crooks. He said, I don't swindle people out of their money. I'm not unjust. I've not committed adultery. 
He said, I, I haven't done what that guy over there's done. Now, so here's what I don't do. I don't do all those bad things. I remember years ago witnessing to an old man. He was in his 80s. Thought he was going to heaven. I could, I could not. Help him, I, I just could not get him to understand from Scripture that he needed to repent of his sin and commit his life. I just, it just, it, and, and, he, and he died lost. And do you know why he thought everything was okay between him and God? Now, this may sound far-fetched, but it's the truth. He, there were two things he had never done, or one thing he had done and one thing he had stopped doing, and, and because of that, he thought he was okay. The one thing he had never done was he had never killed anybody, and the thing he had stopped done was making moonshine. And he said because he never killed anybody and he stopped making moonshine, he was okay. Now, that's a, an extreme case. But, folks, there's all kinds of us who say, I've never done those things. I've never been that bad, so I'm okay. But then look at what he did. Not only what he didn't do, but what he actually did. He said, hey, I fast twice a week. A really faithful Pharisee would fast two days every week, and this guy did it. That's pretty religious, isn't it? And I tithe on everything because in the Old Testament, tithing was described. But the Pharisees, we talked about a few weeks ago, they tithed beyond what the Old Testament says. They tithe. If they grew herbs in their herb garden, they tithed on those herbs. Meticulous tithers. So here's a guy who didn't do the bad stuff and really worked hard at doing the religious stuff. So he goes to the temple to pray. And he stands like any good Jew would do when they prayed. But notice what he did. He prayed this to himself, about himself. His prayers didn't, his prayers didn't get out of the top of his head, let alone through the roof of the temple. He was talking to himself. Talking about himself. He didn't have any problems. He did not ask God for anything. Why? Because he didn't think he needed anything from God. He didn't need forgiveness. Why? Haven't done anything wrong. Look at all the good I do. So it's hard. You're not going to repent of sin if you don't think you're a sinner. You're not going to fall on your face and repent of your sin if 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 you think you're already okay. I'm a, I'm a good person. Look at what I do, and I don't do that. And so the focus is on you, what you've done, what you've not done. It's all about you. I'm okay. Why? Because, well, I know God loves me, and I think I'm better than most, so it's okay. I'm better than some of those hypocrites down at the church. You ever heard that? You ever said that? That's the Pharisee. That's the guy that Jesus said, that that was his approach to God. God, hey, I I worship you, but when I'm worshiping you, I'm just thanking you that I'm me and not him. And Jesus, in the last verse, verse 14, said it was that man who, when he left the temple and returned to his home, went to his home unjustified, lost, and without God. 
standing a distance away in that same temple that same day praying as a tax collector. These were Jews who cooperated with the Romans and collected taxes from their own people on behalf of the Romans and they charged more than the Romans said they had to and they lined their pockets and most of them became wealthy. Not all of them, but most of them were swindlers and crooks and dishonest and they weren't very popular. And in the New Testament... There are several places where tax collectors and sinners, sinners being a group of people who weren't religious and didn't observe any of the moral laws, are grouped together to give you a sense of their morality. But here he is. He, he makes his way to church. I can imagine he's like someone who, who, who said, you know, I've had people tell me this before. Maybe you've heard somebody say this. If, if I ever go into church, the, you know, the, 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 the roof will fall in. You ever heard that? Because some people really, you know, they realize, man, I, I'm, I'm pretty bad. It's, it kind of reminds me of the guy, if, you know, I walk up to him and they're out in their yard working on a car or something. I walk up, they got their Budweiser and stuff sitting out. I walk up, oh, preacher, if I know it was you, I'd put that away before you got here. <laughs> I, I hear things like that. <laughs> I mean, here's this guy. He knew who he, knew who he was. And he, he's in the temple and he's praying. And, and I get the, the sense that he's at rope's end. You know, he's, he's just come to the end of himself. Because remember, those choices we make, eventually they start talking to us in the middle of the night. <laughs> that, you know, life has a way of talking to us. What, what does the Bible say? Be sure your sin will what? Find you out. It catches up eventually, right? You, you feel it. And he's standing over here. And most Jews would look up and pray. And this guy felt so bad. Because of his sin, he couldn't, even, he couldn't even lift up his head. He just, he just, he, you know how when you're grieving, sometimes all you can do is just hang your head? His sin was making him grieve. He was brokenhearted over his sin. And he just hung his head. He couldn't look up. And he was beating his chest in, in Middle Eastern culture, and you'll still see this in parts of the world today where, where they'll do this. It was a sign of grief, of contrition, of brokenness, of, of pain. Like we might, you know, we just put our, our head, our face in our hands. They would do this. And all he could say was, God... Be merciful to me. Because he knew he didn't deserve anything good from God. Be merciful to me. He didn't compare himself to others, even by saying a sinner. Be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner. Do you see the two different approaches to God? And Jesus said, that's the man who left the temple, went back to his house, and was justified, was, was okay, was forgiven, was saved. Not the other guy, but this guy. And Jesus is saying, one approach to God works and the other doesn't. Justified is a legal term. It's, it, it's, the, it's the picture, if you will, of being in the courtroom of heaven in God's court and God's the judge. And, and what you're accused of is sinning. 
And you're guilty. But at the end of the trial, God announces not guilty. Another image of forgiveness and cleansing that comes because you plead for the mercy of God having recognized your abject sinfulness as a human man, as a human woman. And what's so shocking about anyone going back to their home justified is that all of us, each and every one of us, is guilty of sinning. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, I am in that all and so are you. All, no exceptions, none, all have sinned. The Bible in Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, not even one. There's no human being alive who can say, I do not need the mercy of God. I do not need to repent of my sin. I do not need the forgiveness of God. I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. And it's okay because of what I've done. None are righteous. Not one. Isaiah 64, 6 in the Old Testament. All of us have become like one who is unclean, a word for being sinful, spiritually dirty, so to speak. And all our righteous deeds, all the righteous things we do, what? Are like a filthy garment, like a filthy rag. Now I drank some tomato juice on the way to church this morning in the car. What if I'd spilled it on this sweater? It'd still be a nice sweater, but it'd have a big old red spot. That's your life and my life, even at our best. You ever put new carpet in your house? And that first dirty footprint? Hmm? That first ding on your new car? Right? All our goodness... All the good things we do are stained by our sin. And the reality is you and I have more than one red spot on us. We've all sinned. None are righteous. And even the good things we do are stained by the sinful things we've all done. And that's why we all need the mercy of God. In 1 John chapter 1, the Bible says, If we say that we have no sin, what? We are deceived. We're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us because we are lying about our own spiritual reality. And the punishment in God's courtroom for sin is severe. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? And that death means more than physical death. It means spiritual death, separation from God. 
And if you physically die as someone who is spiritually dead, you will have eternal death, which is spending forever without God in hell. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death, the consequence of our sin. And so Jesus says, here's these two men making their way to God, approaching God. One says, I've done pretty good. I do a lot of good things and I don't do bad things. I'm okay. The other one says, I know I've messed up. I know I'm a sinner. I'm not righteous and I'll never see heaven on the basis of my good deeds. I need the mercy of God. And Jesus said, it's that man who was justified. Not because of who he was and what he had done or how good he was, but because of how he approached God as a broken sinner, humble and repentant. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now look at that again. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. Repentance literally is a change, a change of attitude, a change of mind. It's a change that says, you know, I recognize that I'm not as good as I thought I was. I, I recognize that I'm not okay. I recognize that doing it my own self, my own way doesn't work and I'm going to turn around and go the other direction acknowledging that I'm a sinner and I'm turning from that sin and I'm turning to God because the only way I can find forgiveness is not through my self-righteousness but through the mercy of Almighty God. That on the cross at Calvary, Jesus purchased for me cleansing and forgiveness and healing and salvation and life. And when I repent and change, the amazing thing is God does this miraculous work in my life of changing me, transforming me into a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus who begins loving the things of God and loving the things of righteousness, loving the things that are good and doing them out of gratitude and love for God, recognizing that even as I grow in godliness and Christ's likeness, I'm still a sinner and dependent on the mercy of God. And so here's a question for you. Have you ever repented of your sin? Have you ever come to that place where you know, where you understood that, 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 that you, you were at the end of your rope and, and you, you couldn't get to heaven on your own? You couldn't fix your sin problem by yourself? You weren't good enough? You needed the mercy of God? You needed the forgiveness of Jesus? And, and you repented of your sin and placed your faith in him and committed your life to him and you, 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 you got on your face before God literally or figuratively and you ask him to forgive you and to have mercy on you and to save you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Well, I'm going to ask you to do that right now. If you're someone who would say, I believe God loves me and I think I'm all right just because, you know, I'm a good guy. I haven't done those things. I've done all these things. You're the one who needs to repent. You're the one who needs to say, I'm a sinner 
You're the one who needs to say, I've done some good things, but I haven't done enough good things, and I haven't done some bad, some of those bad things, but I've done bad things, and I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness, and I need Christ. So I'm going to ask all of us, if you would, to stand right now where you are. Just go ahead and stand up. And bow your head, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And as soon as I say amen, we're going to begin singing a hymn of invitation. And myself and pastors and counselors are here at the front. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you're a person who says, That's, Preacher, you're talking to me right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not a bad person, but I know I'm a sinner. And I'm not ready to die. I've never repented of my sin. I haven't placed my faith in Christ. I haven't asked him to forgive me. And I want to do that. Brother Steve and Brother Jamie are standing here. And I'm going to ask you to come to one of them and say, Pastor, right now I want to repent of my sin. And give my heart to Jesus. Others of you will want to come and kneel at this altar and pray for people that's on your heart who are lost and need Christ. Others of you need to join this church. Come and tell one of these pastors you want to become a part of First Baptist. Or you need to be baptized and take your public stand for Christ. Father, I pray right now that uh, as you are speaking to our hearts, that you will give strength and boldness and courage to those who need to leave where they're standing and come to this altar and make a decision for you. God, I pray for that man, that woman, that teenager who's never genuinely repented of their sin and received Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, draw them and give them strength. Draw them, draw them, and let us have victory today over the devil and over sin and over hell. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing and you come right now. Well, I know sitting there at home or wherever you're watching this broadcast, God is speaking. God can speak to us anywhere, and, and, and God has spoken to you. And if you need to repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus, you can do it right now, right where you are. I want to encourage you to bow your head and pray to the Lord, asking him to forgive you, genuinely repenting of your sin and committing your life to Christ. And then, then you need to go to church. I want you to let us know here at First Baptist that you've given your life to Christ and repented of your sin. And uh, we have some material we'd love to give you that will help you in your walk with Jesus. I want to encourage you uh, next Sunday to, to get up and go to church. And if you live in York County, come to First Baptist. We have two worship services. One is at 10 minutes after 9 o'clock. It starts at 9:10, And the other service starts at 10:30. I preach in both of those. And if you come, uh, come to me before or after the service and let me know you watch us on TV and that you prayed and committed your life to Christ. You repented of your sin because we really do want to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless you and have a great week.